1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to look at uh, actually more than 1 through 11. We're, we're honing in on verse 11. So that's kind of the verse that we're really looking at today. But I'm going to read 1 through 11. Uh, and then we're actually going to look at um, 12 through 22 after that. But let me read aloud uh, the word of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come. And it will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's peace, there's security. Then sudden destruction will come as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you, brothers, sisters, you're not in darkness. That day is not going to surprise you like a thief or like labor pains. For you are children of the light, children of the day. We're not of the night. We're not of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be awake. Let us be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus, who died so that we, whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. He died for us so that we might live with him. All right, and here's verse 11. Here's the text we're really looking at today. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. This is the word of the Lord. So we've been looking at Christian community. We've been looking at the life of a local church. What does it mean to be the church? One of the things that we talk about at Christ Covenant uh, is this idea of what is the church. And, and, and I've, I've said, and I, I try this out. So I've said it and, I, and I've practiced this. If you go around and ask a lot of Christians, what is the church? What is the church? It's a fun, fun, go ask a Christian you know, that you meet. Say, what is the church? And a lot of Christians struggle to answer that. Now you'd think that's a pretty basic question, but a lot of Christians really can't answer that very basic question. What is the church? And so, uh, you know, some people kind of talk about the church as a building. Well, I go to this church, right? So the church is a place. I go to this church or I, I go to that church. Um, in fact, when we first moved here to plant the church, people would say, well, where is your church, right? When we were starting a church, they'd say, well, where is your church? And, of course, you know, we would say, well, it depends. You know, it depends where they are right now. And even when we gather in one place, we sometimes don't even know where that's going to be. But is the church essentially a building? Churches have buildings. In fact, we have a building. In fact, it's a couple doors down if you're visiting with us. Our little church owns this building. We're very excited to start using it, hopefully in a few months. Um, but is essentially, is that the church, right? Or, or some people say, well, it's the, the gathering. Like this is the church. And again, this is an important part of what it means to be a church or what it means to be a Christian. The gathering of saints is... is I would say, essential to the church. But during COVID, when we couldn't gather together, did we cease to be a church? Is, is, is this gathering fundamentally what we are? 
is the church a personality, right? Some people say, well, I go to this person's church or that person's church, right? I identify with this person, this personality or this person's preaching or whatever. Well, is that essentially, your preaching is a good thing. It's a gift to the church. But essentially, is that the church? Is that the essence of the church? Or some people say, well, I have my church on Tuesdays in my pajamas, right? And so what they're saying is the church is streamed content, right? I, I sit down with my iPad and I watch a sermon online. Is that, but is that, is streamed content the church? Again, churches have content. Churches have preachers. Churches have buildings. All these things are good things, tools the churches have. But essentially, ontologically, are any of these things the church? And of course, we would say no. The, the church, when we, we look at it in the New Testament, the, the Greek word for church, the church that's trans, the, the word that's translated from Greek to church is ekklesia. And essentially this, this word, I like to talk about it in, in these three ways. It means those who have been, those people, so kind of fundamentally the church is people, those people who have been called out by the gospel Right, so if you're a Christian, you've been called out of this world. You, you've been fundamentally changed. The good news of Christ Jesus has so penetrated your life that it's changed you. You've been called out of the ways of the world by the gospel. You've been called together, okay, as a covenant body. Christians are not isolated people. We are called together. We are called to one another. This is what this whole sermon series has been about. We're, we're called together in the gospel and we're sent out on mission for the gospel. Now there's so much I could say about the gospel and how, how it calls us away from the ways of the world. There's so much I could say about the mission of the church and what we've been called to as followers of Christ. But really what this whole series has been, and we looked at five weeks in January and we're looking at five weeks this summer and this is the last week. We've really been looking at what does it mean to be called together? What does it mean to, to be a covenant people called out by the gospel, called together in the gospel? And we've been looking at these one another commands. There's 59 of them in the Bible, 59 of them in the New Testament. And, and I really believe that the, the strength, the health of who we are as a church is, is very much wrapped up in how faithful we are to these commands. And how seriously we take these commands. In fact, Jesus himself said this. They'll know that you're my disciples by how big of a building you have. They'll know you're my disciples by, by how much gospel you spread. I mean, that's an important thing. They'll know you're my disciples by how talented of a preacher that you have. No, no, no. They'll know that you're my disciples. The, the evidence that your life has been changed, that you're really my disciple, is in the way that you love one another. And in, and in this idea of loving one another, there's so many other kind of one another's that we've looked at. Restoring one another and stirring one another uh, along, singing with one another. But the one I want to look at today I think is incredibly important. Verse 11 again, it's, it's this encouraging one another, building one another up. When we gather, when we're together, we understand ourselves to be the church, do, do we have this in mind? We're here to encourage one another. Are we active in this? We're here to build one another up. Do you, do you come with this in mind? Do you come only to, re, to receive? Again, this doesn't just say that we would be encouraged and built up, but that we are encouraging one another, that we are building one another up. Now, this is an interesting thing to talk about. 
Because we live in an age where the ethic of the age is not really encourage one another, build one another up, sacrifice yourself for the other. The ethic of the age is more discourage one another, tear one another down. Now we don't say that, but that is the ethic of the age. That's, that's what's happening around us all the time. Last week, if you were here, I talked about Charles Taylor and, and kind of secular, uh, a secular age and how in this secular age, in this moment we live in, the way to an identity, the way to have a sense of self is to advance yourself within a particular frame, right? Or you could say a tribe or a worldview. So you want to advance yourself within a particular frame or tribe or worldview. And then you want to advance your frame, your tribe, your worldview among all the other frames. And what the secular world teaches us, the way to best do this, the way to best advance yourself within your frame and to advance your frames among other frames is to tear the other frames down. To tear the other people down. It is to, is to make people doubt them. It's to cause suspicion among them. It's to put them down so that you can be lifted up. So that you can advance yourself. So that you can have a sense of self. Of course, we see this in politics. We see this in advertising. We see it just in the way people talk about one another. Uh, we feel this everywhere. In fact, it's so common that it's kind of weird when someone is just encouraging, right? You're almost like, what do you want? You know, what are you looking for? What are you trying to get out of this? It's, it's kind of weird when somebody just builds other people up. Josh Howerton, who's a pastor in Texas, he tweeted this week and it was, this tweet went viral, but it says, megachurch pastors exposed. And of course, everybody, you know, oh man, what's, what's the news now, right? You know. This is going to be juicy. He says, having spent a great deal of time around these people, I've learned some things I've kept secret, but my conscience will not allow that any longer. So here goes all true stories. And everybody, of course, clicked on the tweet. But he went on in the, treat, the tweet to say that these successful pastors that are out there, he told stories, these guys that have had successful pastors in big churches, he told stories about how they were generous how some of them had said no to money in order to uh, invest into church plants or how some of them had taken their time that they could have been spending doing more important things or bigger things to invest in younger pastors, to care for the poor. Talked about how one pastor leveraged a lot of his personal wealth to fund adoptions, how another spent a lot of his spare time dressed kind of in disguise doing evangelism in a local park. How about this one? He says, Pastor B, he kind of referred to all the pastors as Pastor A, B, C, D. Um, he said, Pastor B led one of the largest churches in the U.S., but he was known as, as the kindest and most gentle man that his staff had ever met. He was nearly beaten to death at 2 a.m. on the side of a highway because he stopped to help what he thought was a stranded low-income family with a flat tire, and it turned out to be thieves. He goes through all these amazing stories. It's so encouraging. It's, it's, it's stories about the good things that people are doing. And finally, he gets to the end of it. And he says, you may say, who are these people? I've never heard of them. And he said, that's my point. A huge publication isn't doing a number one most downloaded podcast on them. Discovery Plus isn't working on a quietly faithful pastor's documentary. But they're everywhere. And, you know, he's right. 
the, the faithful Christian, the faithful pastor, the faithful follower of the Lord that just follows the Lord and does the next right thing faithfully for decades, that doesn't sell a lot of newspapers. It's not scandalous. It's not sensational. And so we've learned this ethic that if you really want to get seen, if you, if you really want to kind of advance yourself, you, you, need to, you need to be skillful at putting people down, at kind of revealing the faults of others. That's how you get ahead. That's how you advance your frame. And you know, we, we actually can see this a lot in Christianity. Christianity has become incredibly tribal. And I, I want to speak to this. Certainly it, within the Christian life, we speak truth together in love. We, 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 we're hopefully always bringing people back to a kind of biblical fidelity and faithfulness. Certainly in the Christian life, um, we want to be, be clear and we want to bring clarity. So all of these things are good, right? But we can become incredibly tribal where we become followers of this person or that person or, oh, you're reading that book by him? Well, you should really be reading this book by this person. And, and so much of this has less to do with actual ideas or actual faithfulness to Scripture and more just about branding, <laughs> advancing a particular brand over another, making ourselves feel good that we have the right kind of Christianity, that we're following the right kind of leader. And, you know, the Bible actually speaks against this. 1 Corinthians 3, for one says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? It's as if Paul's saying here, have you not just taken on the postmodern ethic? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. Of the Lord, servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Now, look, the point I'm trying to make here is not that you weren't helped by one preacher, writer, Christian person in one season of life, and then maybe you were helped by a different kind of preacher, writer, person in a different season of life. You know, look, the, the point I'm trying to make here, all, all of that's good. The point I'm trying to make here is we can become so loyal to our little Christian tribes that we don't recognize the bigger work that Christ is doing, the bigger fruit that Christ is bearing. I love how Paul ends this. He says, it's, it's neither he who plants nor he who waters who is anything, but it's only God. It's God who gives the growth. You know, there's a lot of conversation right now kind of in the larger culture about critical theory. And, and what I've found is I've had conversations with people is both people that are really against critical theory and people that are really for critical theory, neither of them know a lot about what critical theory actually is and what it actually purports and, and talks about. And I'm not going to give you a treatise on that today. But of course, there's different types of critical theory, critical race theory, parts of feministic thinking is kind of in the critical theory realm, critical theory on world powers. But the problem with critical theory is not that it critiques, right? There's obviously real issues in the world. There's real uh, issues in society that, that need to be critiqued. But if you, if you read critical theorists, Marcuse and Fromm and others, the problem with their worldview is that it only critiques. <laughs> it, it's only critical. It, it never puts forward 
a positive worldview, a, a positive view of the world, any sort of thing to aspire. It never gives the answers. It just continues to deconstruct and deconstruct and deconstruct without ever reconstructing. And, and the reason that, that I mention that today, I fear among some Christians that Christianity itself can kind of develop what I'll call a, a critical Christian theory. We only know how to say what's wrong. Where we only know how to say, well, that's wrong, or that's wrong, or that's wrong, without being able to put forward a vision for a biblical worldview, a vision for a kingdom life. Are we the kind of people that can only say, well, I know that's wrong, or are we the kind of people that can say, this is what God has designed. This is what God has put forth. This is what we are called to. And, and I think that's why this text is so important and so helpful because it so cuts against this kind of critical posture that we found ourselves into. And it says that the posture of the church, the, the temperament of the church, the, the, the call is that we would encourage one another that we would be building one another up toward Christ, toward godliness. May that be what we are known for at Christ's covenant. And again, yes, of course there's time where we, we speak truth in love. We, we may need to bring a correction. But I pray that what we'd be known for is not people that get this rise out of correcting people, but, but a people that get a rise out of encouraging out of building one another up, out of seeing one another grow and excel. And so this brings us to the first point here, which is the reason for encouragement. Why we can do this. Why we can be so encouraging. And, and what Paul is doing in, in the first part of this text is he's saying, you're going to see Jesus. Encourage one another. Build one another up because you're about to see Jesus. The second coming is coming. Jesus is returning. You're about to be with the Lord. And so encourage one another. Stir one another along. Be faithful. Build one another up. You're going to be with the Lord. You're, you're a people of the light, he says. You're not in darkness. You're not surprised by this. You're a people of the light, so keep going. To, to use some of those other analogies, run hard. Go get them. Stay faithful. That, that should be our posture. That we're speaking encouragement to one another. Look at uh, verse 8. It says, Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope for salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live toward Him. You're going to be with the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. And so encourage one another. Build one another up. Push one another along to the finish line. A few weeks ago, Jeremy Brooks preached on hospitality, and he preached out of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter uses the same kind of analogy, this keep going. You're, you're, you're toward the end of the race. Some of you guys can identify with this. We got any Peachtree Road Race runners in here? Any Peachtree Road? You got the T-shirt? You got the T-shirt. You got the T-shirt. Peachtree Road Race. Have you ever run the Peachtree Road Race? You know, you start off the Peachtree Road Race and you think you're amazing, you know. Because it's all downhill, you know. It's, it starts off downhill and you're making great time and you're like, I am awesome. I, I didn't know that I was a specialist at the 6K, you know. And then you get to the bottom of the hill, you hit Peachtree Creek and there's this huge hill 
And in fact, it's right in front of Piedmont Hospital and actually cardiologists like camp out there because people have so much issue with, they call it cardiac hill. And so you go to cardiac hill and you finally get to the top of it and then you're running through Midtown and it's like, oh my gosh, it's 16th Street, it's 14th Street, when's it? And it's going on forever. And then finally you turn on 10th Street and you come down the hill and man, you can feel it. And then you can see the park. And at that point in the race, you are running like you've never run before. I mean, it's like dead on sprint. Why? Because you know that the end is near. You know that rest is coming. You know that ice cold towel that they put on you is about to be put on you. You're going to get the, the t-shirt. You're going to rest. That, that's what this, that's what this, what Peter was doing. That's what Paul's doing is saying, look, you're going to see Jesus. Christ is coming back for us. You're going to be with him in his kingdom. We should not be taken off guard by that. So encourage one another to keep running, to stay, to stay the course. And man, how encouraging is it? If, you've ever, if you ever have run in a race and you see people that you know and they've come out to stand on the side and say, go, go, keep going. And what Paul is saying, look, is like, we all need this and we should all be doing this to one another. Is that true of you? Are you, are you bringing courage to one another? Are you encouraging one another? The word encourage, you know what, in the Greek, you know what it means? I love this. It comes from the Greek parakaleo. It's the same word that's actually used to describe, talk about the Holy Spirit, parakaleo. And it means to come alongside and call out. Just like those people at the Peace Road Race that come alongside you and say, hey, you're almost there. Keep going, keep going, stay the course, run faster. Is this how you live your Christian life? Is this how you gather, right? Is this, is this, this is our posture when we meet together? You know, when you go to be a fan of the Peachtree Rotaries, you don't just get there and be like, wait, what am I supposed to be doing now? You, you know what you're there for. You're there to cheer them on. And, 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 and this is what Paul is saying, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as a church. Like, we're here to cheer one another on. Let this be our posture. It's, it's, it's so easy to be critical. It's so easy to tear down. But, but may the posture of the church be the ones who come alongside one another and give courage and call out and press one another forward. I, I so pray that this would be who we are as a church. And look, if any, if there is any hope for this whole series, this Life Together series, you know, we live in a hyper self-focused, individualized world, don't we? And it's becoming more and more like that. And even the church is buying into that. You know, the churches, I know churches that are getting rid of church membership. They're getting rid of any sense of accountability. They're encouraging people to do the online service, et cetera, et cetera. And we're pushing people toward more isolation, more self-centeredness. And, and what Jesus is saying in the New Testament and, and what he is saying to us is, no, this is not what I've called you to do. I've called you to me and I've called you to one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. So the obvious question, this is our second point, is okay, how do we do this? How do we do this? Now this is, I'm going to go ahead and warn you, this is the second point of the sermon, but there are seven subpoints to this second point. And one of the seven subpoints has four subpoints. So there's a lot going on here. So I, I wish I could 
like really go into detail about all of this, but I, I, I got to kind of fly through this. But the first one, it's verses 12 through 13. Here's, Paul's kind of helping us. What does this look like in the body? This is, brothers, respect those who labor among you and those who are over you in the Lord. And admonish them and esteem them highly in the Lord because, in love, because of their work. We looked at this idea last week and it can, it can seem very self-serving to say, hey, respect your leaders, right? But I'll speak for all of the leaders of our church. You know, being an elder, being a group leader, leading in the kids, <laughs> leading in student ministry, these are all hard jobs. They're hard. I mean, think about being a group leader. You have people coming to your house every week. You have to clean up. You have to, you have to study the lesson. You have to try to think of something to say. Everybody's expecting. And look, here's the deal. It's very easy to critique the person in charge. That's so easy. It's very easy to sit back and say, oh, I could do it better than that. Oh, that was, I could do way better than that. It's, it's so easy to do that. And again, there are times for... Critique. There are times to speak truth and love, bring correction. I, I want you to hear that. I, I, am, I am so open to that. I'm not trying to create a shield here. But I am trying to say, is the posture of, your, of our heart as a church, when, when God has given someone authority over us, to actually encourage them and push them along. And, and I think what the text is saying here is that's actually how the whole thing is going to be built up. When, when leaders are confident to lead in faith, they're being encouraged and stirred along. Second point here, second half of verse 13, it says, be at peace among yourselves. And, and kind of what I have in mind here is this. You know, um, you're a part of a community where there's tension in the community, but nobody's talking about it. And so there's this weird, like, passive-aggressive energy. And maybe you even tried to talk about it in the person will say, oh, no, it's fine. No, we're, we're good. But then you're kind of like secretly sniping at each other all the time. You, you know, maybe you've never been a part of a community like that. And I hope you haven't. Because the truth of the matter is there are churches all over that this is very indicative of the culture of that Christian community. And in a, in a culture like that, there's no real peace and nobody is being built up by one another. Because everybody is undercutting everybody all the time, sniping at each other all the time. Here's the, here's the charge to us, be at peace with one another. Now that may mean that you have to actually deal with a conflict that exists between you and the other person. And it's gonna be hard and tricky and you gotta deal with it. Be at peace with one another. You, you can only build one another up and really encourage one another and trust one another to really bring courage when there's real peace. Number three, now this is the one with the four subpoints. Verse 14, it says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. I want you to hear the, the tone of verse 14 here. It's active. It's active. Encourage one another, build one another up. Do that, right? You're, do that. It's, it's active. It's a call, right? This is how we should be living with, this is part of faithfulness to Christ, that we would be speaking these things to one another. Admonish the idle. And, and let, me, let, me, let me obey the command. I, I do want to say there are some of you who are idle. Your Christian life is idle. You're not doing anything for the Lord. God's given you 
more wisdom than you've probably ever had. You've, you've got money, you've got smarts, God's blessed you in so many ways, and you're, you're using all of that for yourself. And it is very easy, especially in a town like Atlanta, to kind of get caught up into having to prove yourself according to some certain Atlanta narrative, and you leverage everything the Lord has entrusted to you for yourself, and you do nothing for the Lord and for his kingdom. You're idle. You're idle. That's why, and I just want to say, if, you're, if, if that's convicting to you, even this little serve the church thing, as simple as that is, it, it pushes you away from yourself, if only for an hour a month. It also says, come alongside the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. And, and, and the faint-hearted here is kind of the person that's become spiritually dry. The person that's become spiritually weak. Encourage them. We, we need to be encouraged. And let me offer you a word of encouragement right now if you're spiritually dry. Usually I have gotten spiritually dry in the times that I've gotten spiritually dry is some, some regular rhythm of my discipleship with the Lord has fallen off, right? I've, I've, my prayer life has fallen off. I, I've not been worshiping like I should be worshiping. I haven't been serving. I haven't, I, I've fallen out of a community of faith. Something in my regular spiritual life has fallen off and there's a result of that. So I, I pray that's an encouraging word for you. You'd find yourself back into those rhythms that the Spirit of God may fill you. And the last little admonishment here is help the weak. Now, this particular text is talking about those who are weak in sin. Those who um, have fallen into, uh, those who have uh, a, weak, a particular weakness in their sin life. Here's what I would say to you. Look, I, I want to be very clear to the congregation today. There are some of you, and there is this kind of nagging pattern of sin that's existed in your life. And you know what it is. Maybe sexual, it may be anger, maybe pride. It's just there and you know it. And you feel bad about it. You feel bad at, like right now, when preachers say, hey, there's this nagging pattern of sin in your life, it's like, okay, <laughs> he's on to me. But it just keeps going and you're not having victory over it. And, he, and here's the reason, you're not getting any help. This is what Paul's saying, the body is here to help you. Confess that. Invite people to pray with you. Invite people to speak truth into your life. Help the weak. Let's help the weak to fight sin, overcome sin, and find victory in the Lord. And I love the final point here. Be patient with them all. You know, one of the things, and, and I'll, I'll credit Blake Rogers for this. Blake really just talked about this, and I love this idea. A culture of pursuit. We want to have a culture of pursuit at Christ's covenant. We're pursuing one another. This is the, it's the same command. It's just it's said in a different way. We want to be pursuing godliness in one another. And that requires some patience. I think it's very easy to start discipling someone and have a vision for how they should be growing. And if they don't grow according to your vision for them, you say, this person's not really worth my time. Or to bring a correction. You know, I mean, one of the things I always say to the elders is look, we, we don't practice church discipline only so we can have a neat and tidy church role. <laughs> you know, we're not just here to like throw people out of the church. That's, that's, not, that's, not, what we, that's not what we're correcting one another. We're, we're correcting one another. We're practicing church discipline because we actually love one another to not allow sin's deceitfulness to grow in their hearts. But sometimes that work of pursuit is a long work and it's a steady work. We gotta be patient with people as we admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help 
the week. All right, the rest of these I'm going to go through really fast. Number four, verse 15. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Oh, this is so important. Gosh, please go home and meditate on all these verses this week. Every one of these is so rich. Don't repay evil for evil, but seek to do good to one another and to everyone. You know how a church gets into a cycle of tearing itself down rather than building itself up? It's when someone sins, we're going to sin. We're going to sin against each other. You're going to be sinning against, I'm going to be sinning against. It's when someone sins, someone does evil, we do evil back. Let me just give you a little kind of one-liner that has been so helpful to me in my marriage, in my friendships, in my parenting. Here it is. I really want you all to remember this. Don't respond to sin with sin. Don't respond to sin with sin. When someone sins against you, Satan will tempt you and say, aha, now the door is open. Now you can sin back. You're justified. And that's the way the world operates. But, but what this is saying is don't, don't respond to evil with evil. Now, somebody doing evil against you, somebody sinning against you, that, that doesn't open the door for evil. That doesn't open the door for sin. No, you respond by doing good to them. Take time. I, this reminds me of Romans 12 where it says, you know, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Do what is good in the face of sin. And the whole body will be built up because of that. Verse 16 through 18, number five. Again, I am not going to give enough time to this passage. This, this one passage has been one of the most liberating verses in the whole Bible to me. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, a lot of us ask, what's God's will for me here? I used to, when I was younger, I used to say that all the time. Lord, show me your will. Who am I going to marry? What job am I going to have? What am I going to do? Show me your will. Show me your will. Show me your will. And then one day I remember hearing this verse, seeing this verse, and it changed me. What is God's will for me? You know what God's will for your life is? Be joyful always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. If, you wanna, if you're discovering God's will for your life in a particular area, just start here. Start with joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. And, and I guarantee you, if this would be true of us, if, if God's will for us in Christ Jesus would be worked out to where we would be known by our joy, our prayer, and our thanksgiving, we would know God's will. The, the, all the other little things would be easy to discern. And the whole body would be built up. The next one. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. In the New Testament, the, the idea of to prophesy isn't necessarily to like give a prophetic word like a new revelation. To prophesy it really just kind of meant to speak out for the Lord. To speak out for the Lord. In a sense, I am prophesying right now. I'm speaking out for the Lord. And, and so what this text is saying is don't, don't despise that. Don't despise what God is saying to you. Don't despise the word of the Lord. You know where churches can really get into trouble and get into this cycle of tearing down is when we're, when we're not humble enough to receive God's word. And when we try to conform God's word to our image. If that's happening, we're not building anyone up in the Lord. We're only building people toward one cultural moment or another. No, don't despise the word of the Lord. 
Receive the word of the Lord. Test it. Make sure it's according to what God has said. But hold fast to what God has revealed. And the whole body will be built up. And then finally, abstain from every form of evil. Again, the, the goal here is that we would grow in godliness. There's evil all around us that, that we would not succumb to the deceitfulness of sin. But we would abstain. That we would pursue righteous lives. That we would help one another. That we'd encourage one another. We'd build one another up toward God-honoring and righteous lives. Abstain from evil. Now you might be saying, hold on, Jason. This is the problem. That's, that's the point. I haven't abstained from evil. And so I don't have any confidence to encourage other people or to call people toward godliness because I don't have any standing. I mean, who am I? How am I going to help people? I, I can't even fight this sin in my life. Who am I? And I think this brings us to the last point, and that's the, the power for encouragement. How do we do this? You know, the, the, the truth of the matter is, if we have to be very honest, all of us are mostly just self-centered people. <laughs> we're, we're always trying to justify ourselves. We're always, we're always kind of taking the communities we're a part of, the resources that we have, and we spend it on ourselves. And the reason that we do that is because there's sin in your life, and there's sin in your life, you feel that separation from God, and our response to that is to try to justify ourselves. Yeah, there's something missing in my soul. My soul is not as it should be. And so I need to prove myself, right? I need to to remind myself, okay, I'm somebody because I have all this money. I'm somebody because I'm very successful at my work. I'm somebody because all these people respect me. And as long as that's your posture, as long as that's your posture, you're never going to be good (laughs) at building people up. You're never going to be encouraging to one another. Because you're going to have to, there's so many resources to get you to zero, right? You have to have all these resources to remind yourself I'm somebody. You've got to justify yourself. And it's only when you feel like you have a little margin that you can say, well, now I can give something. Or maybe now I can do something. The problem with that is how many of us are sitting around saying, what am I going to do with all this spare money and spare time that I don't know what to do with? Who's saying that? The truth is we're too busy spending our money and our time and our resources on ourselves. And it's only the rare moment that we have something else to give to others because we're trying to justify ourselves with those things. We're trying to prove something with all those things. In order for us to really be the kind of church that does this, that really encourages one another, that's willing to come alongside one another, to run alongside and to call out encouragement and to build up without having to get anything back from that, without having to say, hey, hey, you know, wasn't that a good word of encouragement? The only way we're really going to do this is if there is some massive heart change, there's some massive jolt to our heart that would totally change us. And don't you see that's exactly What happens to you when you look to Jesus and when you believe the truth of his gospel? You know who's come down, come alongside you? God himself. Jesus came down and and it's, it's not just a little coming down. It's the most massive coming down that's ever happened. He came from heaven. And he didn't just come down to kind of stand in the cloud and say, hey, good job down there. 
No, he came down to be totally like us. He was in carnity, took on human form, he became a servant. He, as the old catechism says, he endured all of the miseries of this life. As the Bible says, he was tempted in every way, just as we have been. He totally identifies with us. He literally ran the whole race with us. And you know what he does? He builds us up. But how does he build us up? He builds us up by being put down. And it's not just being put down a little bit. It's the the most dramatic put down ever. Jesus took on all of our sin, all of our wickedness, all of our self-centeredness. And he endured God's holy wrath against all of that so that our sin in Christ and through his blood and on his cross has been totally canceled. And if you believe that and if you look to Jesus, you have been called with him to be the son or daughter of a living God. You have been given this name, this inheritance, child of God. Hear me, listen, if you're in Christ, you have nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove. When you're standing before God someday, nobody's going to care what job you had or how much money you have or how nice of a house. You have nothing to prove. You already have everything. Jesus has given you the universe. You've been called a child of God. You have an imperishable inheritance. And if you would live in that identity, you would be able, you would be so free to leverage what the Lord has entrusted to you, what he has called you to steward, not to just reassert yourself, not to just fill your own sense of self-justification, but you'd be so free to encourage one another and build one another up. And if God would do that in us, all this body, it would be so beautiful. We'd be like the Lord. We'd, We'd be built up. There'd be this maturity in us. There'd be this righteousness in us. There'd be this hope that we've had. But it only happens when you really realize who you are in Jesus, do you? When you really believe the love that God has for you in Jesus, do you believe that? When you really know that you have nothing to prove, your sin's been forgiven, do you really believe that? When you really know that, that God in Christ has given you an inheritance, a name that's imperishable, that can never be taken away. Do you really believe that? Let's pray together. Father, help our unbelief today. Help our unbelief today. In Jesus' name, Lord, help our unbelief today. Help us to to be the kind of church that truly looks to Jesus, that finds our identity in him, that realizes in Jesus we don't need anything. We've got nothing to prove. You've taken care of everything, Lord. I pray that Jesus would be our life. In him is life. In him is life. Help us to believe these things, Lord. And and as we believe them, I pray that we'd be the kind of people that don't have to come into this community always needing to get, but we'd be the kind of people that are eager to give, to build one another up, to, to run alongside one another, and to call out, to give courage, so that we may run with endurance this race we've called us to. I pray this in Jesus' name.